It's a company's responsibility to make sure that the people they want to have on board stay on board. And sometimes it needs to be proactive. Mm -hmm. I don't want to wait until people feel slighted for months and then suddenly are like, dude, I'm, I'm looking for other jobs. I can't believe you haven't given me a raise yet. All right. Welcome, y'all. This is Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. Mike and Kevin Wagstaff here, founders of Spectora, share stories, lessons learned, getting our startup from zero to an eight-figure business. Um, today, we want to dive into some of the recent events that we've been um, encountering when it comes to the macro environmental context of big inflation, a lot of money flowing into SaaS companies, and how it impacts a lot of our day-to-day -day when it comes to hiring and how much to list salary ranges for job posts and um, you know, perks, benefits, bonuses, all these questions that um, founders and owners have to ask themselves in a changing uh, macro environmental context. Um, so Kev, do you want to tee it up a little bit more? I, first of all, I love this topic because it impacts everyone from, you could be brand new, you could be pre-launch, um, this impacts pricing. So inflation and the general increase in the cost of everything um, is a good topic for everybody. So yeah, to to elaborate on that further, massive inflation. I think the highest reading on inflation, the CPI, consumer price index, just a fancy word for saying what things cost from gas to food, um, to the price of your software, to what your dentist charges, it all impacts inflation. And so right now everyone's probably noticing what you pay for everything is a lot higher than it's been in the past. And that is very related to all the money flowing into technology, tech companies and SaaS in particular from venture capital. And that money comes from large pension funds, um, large investment funds that want exposure to startup companies. And so and, go ahead. Yeah. And it's, um, I think like we were talking about earlier, it's a lot of money chasing yields stock market kind of questionable where it goes. People are afraid that a dip is coming. Mm -hmm. Um, Crypto, it's always too wild of a ride for some. SaaS companies seem to be this hot commodity where people are very bullish on where things go. And so that's making people invest more into SaaS companies, more into tech, and then therefore tech can spend more. And so it feels like, and, and this has manifested for us recently, kind of the war for talent as we're trying to hire, in addition to, yeah, just getting higher bills, most of our um, providers saying, hey, we're raising rates on this, 100 bucks here, 50 bucks there, 5% here, 20% there. It really adds up and impacts the bottom line. It all does. Driving to the office one or two days a week, the parking probably inches up by a buck or two, you know, all these like invisible factors. And that's what inflation is. Sometimes it can feel invisible until you realize, wow, I'm not taking home what I, what I did last year. Yeah. And the danger, I think that we've particularly put ourselves in, um, Back in the day, we would say, hey, guaranteed pricing for life. You sign up at this rate and we're never going to raise it on you because a lot of our competitors at the time, I think, were just changing prices willy nilly and, and it made people very uneasy. Um, you know, and then like when it came time to raise prices, we would say, hey, this affects only accounts coming in going forward. And so we definitely have people locked in at like our original rate of 79 a month. And now we have people locked in at 99 a month. And we're wondering, ooh, do we raise prices? Do we just keep thinking up add-on products so that we can continue to earn more money per user as opposed to, to trying to raise prices on everybody? 
Um, these are really hard decisions among many that we're struggling with right now. And granted, those those like sales really capitalized on FOMO to get people in the door. Would they have converted anyway? That's like the you know the million dollar question of it benefited us greatly to lock in users. You know, granted at a lower price, but now long term we'll feel those effects. And so, yeah, I think I think our answer is clear: of add on products, provide more value, and then um, you know incremental ten dollar, twenty dollar a month products. That feels like the path rather than going back on our word <laughs> or uh, drastically shaking things up, right? Right. Yeah, that never feels good. Um, if inflation runs rampant, there may not be another choice, but hopefully for now we can keep saying, hey, how do we continue to add value and kind of go the typical SaaS route of like upsells, add-ons, stuff that people are willing to pay for that gives them value uh, and just getting additional margins there. Yeah. And one thing I just, we got, I got an email from Calendly the other day and I think it was like a 60 cent price increase on their subscription. So it doesn't have to be for anyone thinking of this, it doesn't have to be this massive 20% jump either. It, it's almost, it almost lands better with customers when it's something like that, because then you're saying this is tracking inflation, not we're doing it plus 20% on top because we want to make more money. Cause that, that's always a hard, uh, perception battle. Right. So, so let's talk about some of the questions that we're dealing with, and I'll give a little context first before we dive in. So we're in the process of hiring for, for a number of positions, right? Um, sales, client success, product. And during this search for product managers, we've had, we, we did a research, you know, we went to Glassdoor, we went to um, a local product organization and looked at their surveys and studies talked to some other SaaS founders and thought that we had a pretty good salary range for um, two different roles, right? A associate product manager and a product manager. And then we started interviewing and, you know, some of the interviews go okay and some go well, but then the ones that go well, when we get a little bit further down the process and we start, you know, throwing out offers and they're like, well, I've gotten offers for 15% higher from another company. And it really makes us look within and say, Ooh, either, one of two things might be true. Either we've misestimated the market and inflation and all this information research out there is old because things are just moving up faster and there's this war for talent where people are willing to keep bid bidding up the price of some of these um, supply constrained roles like engineering, like product. Um, or, you know, there, there's just like, we our limited data set of individuals is like, maybe really shooting for the moon and we haven't gotten enough data here. Um, and, and we're not, our perception is good and our research is good. And we've just encountered some individuals that are kind of outliers to that. And it's, it's hard to know because you can only interview so many people and go through this whole arduous process of, you know, multiple rounds of interviews and shadow days with multiple people on the team. Um, a lot of hours and energy get eaten up with every person and the funny thing about product in particular, everybody we're interviewing is like, hey, I'm at a job. I'm fairly happy. I'm shopping around for what's out there. So there's this like feeling, I think, in the air where people are, are saying, ooh, right? the word on the street is I can get way more if I start interviewing and looking around. And um, it just feels like a terrible time to be hiring, maybe a great time <laughs> to be an employee. Uh, this is really hard. I, I these are struggles, right? We've had hours and hours of talks around this. So like, what's your perception of what's going on here? Man, it's really hard being bootstrappers coming into this. I think our frame of reference is all, it, it comes from the, the scrappy, 
you know, paid everything bottom slow on the lower end of the range. And so it is a, it is a rude awakening. I think to see the prices go up so fast, like a stock that runs up so fast and you're like, Oh, is it going to keep going up? Do I just buy it or do I wait? Um, so yeah, I, I think you're dead on. I, the only thing, um, I'll, I guess expand on is you have all these companies that are series a series B have raised 10, sometimes 20, 30, 40 million. Right. So then they can adjust those job postings way quicker and just lump on another 10 or 20 grand to fill the position because they're in a race against time. And so whether someone's working there or applying there, it's very easy to use that and leverage it to a company where you're like, oh, their culture is not shitty yet. Or their culture is pretty cool like ours, you know, or, or some corporate, you know, some, you know, thousand, you know, 10,000 employee company or even Google or Apple or whatever. And then take it back to a smaller company where you're like, oh, they got way more upside. I think I could grow there. And they can just leverage that, I think. I think it's never been easier to do that. So I, that's what I feel like is the easy thing to happen because that's that feels like human nature to me. But again, it's the reality. So it, then the decisions and you know the balls in our court of really selling people on our culture and the opportunity and the upside or giving the bag up front and then we take the risk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Most, it seems like in, um, on our position, kind of know what they offer, right? Like you said, smaller company, growing startup, you offer way more upside, an opportunity to advance your career really quickly compared to working at big corporations. And you offer what um, generally people perceive as a way better culture. There's less red tape, there's less bureaucracy, it's a more tight knit group, there's more camaraderie. People seem to enjoy the feeling of like, oh, yeah, we're trying to, to move fast, do big things. Um, as opposed to a big corporation where the things are done and you're trying not to fuck it up. Right. And so it, there's an excitement and a, a draw to it. And the reality is that there's, there's more resource constraints at a smaller company. Maybe you can't just, like you said, throw on another 20% on the salary just to get somebody good. And, um, man, this is so problematic because we're competing with companies that are funded. There's companies in our space that are funded or have, um, big, bankroll owners and so the war for talent even in our little niche is super real and yet we we have to understand our numbers our business model and kind of make those decisions on how to allocate capital how to allocate risk based on just what we know what we think is going to happen in the future um it's scary it's a it's a hard decision all of these are hard decisions to make um, what target profit margins should be given what we know about our industry and attrition rates, um, what we think we can do with additional really talented people. What's the cost of this employee hunt taking another two or three months? What do we lose in the meantime? Weighing all of these factors, um, so it keeps one up at night. Are you guys thinking about getting more creative with uh, the structuring of said offers? Because, you know, the one thing, if, if an employee comes in and says, Hey, negotiates a higher salary, cool. They get it. There's a risk there of them not having equity or profit sharing off the bat, because what if we achieve all of our goals and we take off, you know, versus they take a little concession on the base, but maybe there's some built-in upside unlocks where they can actually capitalize on the upsides. That it's a good question to ask. And I, I don't think this through out loud here. I feel like we're in an awkward state when we were small. 15 or below, um, I think the people coming to work for us kind of knew like, hey, rewards will come if I 
you know, I show up, I take maybe a below average salary, but I'm in at the ground floor and I can work my way up. And I think we were, we did pretty well at giving salary bumps and bonuses and then equity and then profit sharing to the people that were in early. And then there's the big companies where you don't really expect to have a ton of um, massive upside. You come in, you get the good salary and it's fairly cush and you don't have to work quite as hard. This middle phase that we find ourselves in is interesting because maybe people perceive that we have additional capital that we should be able to compete with maybe some of these bigger companies or more well-funded companies. Um, but we still feel like, hey, we're scrappy. We don't know. We're, you know, like the, there's always question marks in the future of what's going to happen. Should interest rates go up, for example, in our industry? And so to answer your question, like, yes, these are things that we're debating is like, all right, what can we do with um, getting creative here? And then, yeah, how can we make sure that we can measure a lot of these things? So if we do hire somebody that comes in at a higher price point within a quarter or two, how can we really know that they're, they're worth it? Um, and gosh, that feels like such a long time to know, but the, with these kinds of positions that, you know, people making fairly large decisions and managing people and letting things play out over time, you have to let it play out a little bit. So yeah, there's a lot of discussions going on internally about how to achieve our goals here. What's fascinating about this is it, it calls into question. It makes us question our or at least me now thinking out loud, question our timelines on how aggressive we're being with everything. It's like, okay, should we stick to a certain vision and timeline, no matter what the economic backdrop is? Or do you see that and say, man, the thing we thought we were going to do in six months might take nine or 12 months now and, you know, to adapt based on that. And then our own personal urgency to grow the business and exit someday or what, you know, pass it off or whatever. Like it's all, it's all related to these like high leverage hires, right? Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, I think, um, we've been debating, okay, we're probably going to face a higher interest rate environment. Maybe the economy is going to, um, react to that, especially in the home transaction market, there's going to be less volume, right? Which means that our primary customers, home inspectors are going to have a little bit more difficulty getting into the industry if they're new. And a lot of our revenue comes from that pipeline of new home inspectors coming into our space. So what we're, talking about for next year is really focusing on how do we increase, yeah, average revenue per inspector. And yeah, we have all these initiatives that we want to accomplish and they require people to be spearheading these, right? These folks that have business savvy and technical knowledge and maybe some design skills and people management skills and communication skills. And like, without those people in place, it becomes really difficult to accomplish what we want to. And so then we have to say what's on the chopping block. And, um, and so, yeah, juggling all these different balls in the air and knowing that we need to get talent in place to accomplish them. Um, yeah, everything comes back to this high-level strategy and how we want the business to move next year. And it's a great question because we, as founders and owners, have some choices, right? We can say, hey, we'll take less profits. We, we can personally absorb less, um, you know, we can take less income and say, we're going to go more aggressive and take that risk, right? So we absorb the risk. Um, it, it's a tough decision. It's a really tough decision because we've gotten used to a certain profit margin. Are we mentally flexible enough to change that in changing economic times? And to what degree? It, these are the hard parts of being a business owner, I think. And there's no playbook. So it is a lot of gut. That, and that's the, especially anyone that's data-driven, especially, you know, engineering-minded folks. It's... It, 
it's really tough. It's tough for anybody. It doesn't matter who you are because one hire at this point has to produce results because we know every dollar that we put back into the company, we're doing it because if we take that dollar and invest it somewhere else or even keep it in cash, it's going to lose money. So then a lot of people say starting a company or investing in your startup is the best inflation hedge of all time because you're just going out and creating value that turns into more dollars versus a, a, a increasingly lower rate that you get on any other fine, any other investment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a great time to be a SaaS founder raising money now because all the money, you know, people are trying to find the yields in SaaS businesses. So does that mean as SaaS owners that don't have funding, we should be just doubling down and reducing our profit margins to invest in our own company? Um, it, on, on paper and intellectually, it sounds like a no-brainer. I think emotionally, it's tough, right? When you're like, oh, okay, do we take less money now on the gamble that we're going to keep growing this thing? And it has us looking in the mirror. How much confidence do we have in who we are and our strategy and our team, and our, you know, what we know about our market and how it's shifting? There's um, there's a lot to process and it feels like the ante just keeps getting higher and higher. Uh, two questions. Does it make you think of new products with a different light or more urgency knowing that, okay, the core product could face some lower growth. So yeah, maybe we um, don't plow everything into, you know, not everything. We're, we're investing heavily in growing the core product for sure. But as a hedge, does it make you think of new product development um, finding other ways to diversify like most companies do. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking to think about, um, whether we build add-ons and upsells for our existing users, which we know the TAM, we know it's finite, but we feel like there's a pretty high percentage that we know the things they're asking for. If we build them, they'll pay for it versus these kind of adjacent verticals or kind of expanding our ecosystem and taking higher risk, potentially higher reward bets, building new products. Um, if they catch on, it'd be phenomenal. And if not, we've burnt resources, you know, for nothing. And the answer is probably a little of each, you know, we're probably going to go forward with investing still like 60, 70% over the course of this next year into our core product while taking that extra 30, 40% and like gradually ramping up, you know, doing MVPs, kind of throwing spaghetti at wall, seeing what sticks, and then doubling down on those things um, over the year to try and expand, diversify revenue streams, build up on what we have, as well as explore other areas. Um, we'll see where it goes. Other people say the best thing to do in a pre, like right before inflation or rates go up is to borrow money. Hmm. Like what? That's <laughs> an interesting one because I, I a couple of really smart people on Twitter were just like, yeah, borrow as much as you can or leverage money while it's cheap, you know, as vague as that is. What's your take on that? It's like, do you raise a bunch of money at a great, on great terms now? Because then in the future, it like effectively is worth more. Right. Yeah. If inflation goes rampant, then debt becomes very, you know, it gets uh, easier and easier to pay it off. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting idea. And one that I don't think we've talked about enough, um, partially due to like maybe our dad and how we were raised where, you know, he never took out a car loan at the only no debt. debt that they ever did was mortgage. And, um, and so it's just not in our DNA, I think to borrow and we've always funded the company out of revenue and yeah, until we made it, we wouldn't spend it, which is the antithesis of most of the startup world. And so, man, what a, what a thing for us to ponder. Like, what do you think? Yeah. So there's so much of, 
of like that world that's over my head in terms of how to structure, you know, debt and the ways you borrow, you know, there's still government programs, apparently that you could borrow really cheap. And then there's like, you know, taking traditional venture money for really good terms because we probably have the best leverage right now, given our economics and, and profit margins and all that. So there's, we get emails every day. So part of it is appealing when you think of being able, like the environment, when you think of the macro environment, okay, now we're now, we're now mostly bootstrapped, but have a war chest to really invest and spend heavily in new product development. Maybe it gets us there quicker. There's appeal to that a lot of days, you know, rather than timelines continually getting pushed out, which is kind of the plight of bootstrappers. It's like things just take longer. It's a slow grind higher. Um, and it's never as fast. So I'm, I'm open, you know, I'm open to it. Yeah. We've, we've always said we need to know what we spent, what we'd spend the money on, right? If we were ever going to take money, how would we spend it? We'd have to turn around and know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we're getting close to a point where those things become very apparent. Possibly. Um, what else do you want to go back to like the, the actual like negotiations and talk about like those internal discussions and getting opinions from other team members. And like, even as founders, when you start delegating decisions and trust, it's never overnight. You know, it's not like you give 100% overnight. There's that messy middle where you're like trusting people, but then you're also like somewhat auditing it and, and, you know, thinking about it. So it's, it's been tough. Yeah. What's funny that something that I've surprised myself with is that more recently I've been telling our head of engineering, our head of product, like, Hey, this is your decision to make. I'll give you my opinion. I don't expect you to always follow it. I expect sometimes for you to take kind of ballsy risks and either prove me wrong or we all learn something, but letting go of the reins is something that um, I realize I've been doing more uh, lately. And it's hard. It's hard because I'll have these strong feelings, but I'm also um, recognizing that I'm not as close to the ground. Maybe when, you know, on a certain hiring process, I spent an hour, hour and a half talking to a person, but then they spent like a whole shadow day with them. And then multiple team members spent hours with this potential candidate and maybe they picked up on certain things and then they're giving different opinions. But ultimately, I think it should always be up to the person that is going to be working hand in hand and responsible for their performance, the hiring manager, to make that final decision. And so, um, yeah, it's a weird spot for us, right? Where we kind of impact our leaders and they're the ones that are impacting their team. And eventually, you know, sub teams are starting to form within our bigger teams. And so we're getting this crazy org chart now with so many layers. It, it's, a, it's a fast moving time where we have to adapt and become more flexible with like how quickly our brains can change to like a new environment, new structure, new challenges. And, um, yeah. And new risks. It's risky putting people in leadership positions. And I don't think anybody's ever ready and will think like you do. And that's not why you do it. Right. You want people are going to think a little different, challenge you a little bit, but man, there's been some definitely uh, discussions in our leadership team where people have very different viewpoints, which is great. Great. We want that. We want that. And also us, it's a new kind of muscle for us to flex of making sure that the people making the decisions know that you've mentioned this before that like you have a reputation with us about your decision-making. And when you really fight to bring someone on, 
you're now responsible for their results. Like, remember that, like, you will be judged by their output. If you're, you know, if there's a disagreement, you know, if everyone's on board with someone, of course, that's kind of easy, but it's when there's disagreement and dissent, it, it's like, okay, you're, you're going to be responsible for this person, basically. Extreme ownership, accountability, like these are all things, you know, it's because the alternative is what we give people like team members and say, all right, you got to produce results and here's your, here's your crew. And then it's easy for them to be like, well, you gave me shitty people. And so I think the only way to build teams is to have people hiring the people that they're going to um, be responsible for the results. Yeah. And um, this is really hard for us because there was a time when you and I were interviewing and hiring every single person that came to work for us. And now we're at a point where we're meeting people on their first day. And, uh, and so how do you, yeah, how is your mindset shifting as you're doing this? Well, it's, I guess I only have exposure to, you know, the people on the sales marketing CS side and like they, I very much, yeah, I trust their judgment. They have, you know, a great track record. And I think it's just trying to ask some follow-up questions, but not too many to just like show them that you trust them. And so it's, uh, it's weird. It's, I'm having trouble finding the right spot to settle in, but it's just, I'm, I'm just so happy that there's other people that are thinking critically about who we bring on the team. Like to me, it's like, that's, I try to remain grateful for that instead of thinking how hard it is to like, let go of trust. I'm like, we got like five or six other people that seem to really give a shit about who we hire. Great problem to have. So it's, it's purposely not typing that Slack message. It's deleting it and then just trying to find the right questions to ask. And that's, uh, that's a new chapter for me is thinking of the right questions to ask. Yeah. Yeah. A lot changing. Um, what else is impacted by this? I think, um, you know, you think of like incentives, raises, bonuses across the board. I think there's like upward pressure, right? We're seeing that everywhere that constantly needs to be reevaluated. We talked yesterday about constant communication. So then you never just hit out of the blue as a founder with someone saying, Oh yeah, I got 50% more over here. And it's just like, you'd love for that to be a conversation. What do you think are keys to someone feeling comfortable coming to you before they drop that two weeks notice? When I check in with anybody, that's my direct, I ask them like, Hey, how are you feeling about comp right now? How are you doing money wise? What's your financial life look like? And our culture doesn't necessarily um, promote talking about that. So sometimes it doesn't go, you know, as candidly as I would have hoped. Right. But I think it's important to keep asking. So they know it's safe. They know it's something that is open to being talked about. Cause I think in a lot of places, that's just hush hush. Mm -hmm. So constantly asking has to be it because I, especially in this environment, it makes a ton of sense that like, Hey, prices of things are going up. Are we all getting salary bumps? And so what we did, we implemented 401k with max, maxed out our matching. And so that was like effectively a 4% raise for everybody across the board just um, in this past few months. And so those are continuously things that we're thinking about. It's like, all right, how do we make sure our people feel taken care of? How do we keep reevaluating what we're doing to stay competitive from an employer perspective? Um, and of course that internal debate of like, but how do we make sure we don't go way too far and we're just showering them with everything at our own expense when, you know, we're always conscious of like, Oh, we have a lot of risk. There's still a lot on the line. I don't know if we feel 
completely recompensed from all the sacrifice and hours and investment that we put in up front. And so we have to, and we're the only ones that are going to be mindful of ourselves, right? Like you and I are the only people that will check each other and be like, whoa, are we kind of being too, too generous? Right. Are we shooting ourselves in the foot long-term? Yeah. Are we minimizing our long-term outcome of this? Yeah. Due to factors. Yeah. And it's like any relationship, right? Like you can't just give, give, give and not take care of yourself or else you'll come to resent what, whatever it is, you know, and that applies to one-on-one like spousal relationships or friendships. It also applies to employer employee. And I think when I was an employee, I didn't comprehend that as much. I'm always just like, ah, well, if they're making this much money, why don't they pay us more? And um, especially when most of our team is new, it's hard for them to see the risk, the investment, the, and the attrition that we survived, right? Like we were part of that few percent that the, the crab that crawled out of the bucket. And so because of all that risk, there is this, um, we need to have reward or else nobody would end up doing this. And so that's why we have certain profit margin um, targets. And so it, it's a tough discussion to have with every team ever, but it's worth having. I think we, we've increased our transparency around business financials, helping people understand the mechanics of business and just being more transparent of like, yeah, we got into this to have a profit and we know what certain profit margins should be for our space. And that's what we shoot for. Um, you know, like if you get into restauranteering, you don't, you're not going to get 40% profit margins. Like 10% is really good for a restaurant. You get into SaaS and yeah, you're shooting for maybe eventually 60, 70, 80% profit margins at massive scale, but like, you know, maybe 40, 50% at our, at our current size. And so these are, you know, stuff for us to debate. I love anchoring things back to economics. And I think the more our conversations can anchor back to supply and demand of any given job wages, what the output is of any given person, it just makes it more real rather than the emotions of like, Oh, I've been here so long. I, you know, groceries are more expensive. Do you feel it's a company's responsibility to give inflation adjusted raises? That's a tough question. (laughs) No, I think it's a company's responsibility to make sure that the people they want to have on board stay on board. And sometimes it needs to be proactive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait until people feel slighted for months and then suddenly are like, dude, I'm, I'm looking for other jobs. I can't believe you haven't given me a raise yet. Because not everybody's as forthcoming as we want them to be. Mm-hmm. I think I would say like 90% of the raises we've given have been proactive and not people asking. And I feel really proud of that. Um, and it's something we have to continuously kind of keep in mind. And right now, like, I think we've delegated some of that to individual teams. We've allocated budgets like engineering gets 15% of revenue and product gets like 6% of revenue. And we're trying to figure out these budgets based on benchmarks from industry standards and kind of where we're at to um, make sure we don't have to be the ones doing this across the board. So then we're just taking care of whoever our direct reports are. But yeah, I feel like there is this... um, it's not a responsibility. It's, it's doing business, right? If you want somebody to feel happy, you gotta, and there's so many ways for somebody to feel happy. There's the benefits, there's the culture, there's responsibilities, there's titles, there's salary, there's working on really cool and interesting pro- uh, projects that they might not get elsewhere. Right. There's, um, there's so many things and it, this has to be one of them. Can't ignore it. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. Um, what else? That's all I got. Gosh. Yeah, I think that was a pretty, um, we kind of meander there, but I feel like there was a lot there. Obviously, we are in a 
space of processing a lot right now and things are moving quickly all around us. So um, that's, yeah, I think that's where my head's at for this I think, week. I think these next six months, uh, us and everyone, you know, listening, just we have to be in tune to what's happening to these numbers. And it, it, at least us, we're tied to interest rates pretty closely in terms of our business. Um, but I think everyone is on some level. And so, yeah, as much as, you know, I hate just like reading the news or whatever, it's like economic news is so important. And then asking other founders what they're seeing, I think is like, it's something we're missing. I think a lot of founders miss that too, or yeah. don't have it. Yeah. hundred percent. If any of our listeners out there, if you're at a similar size or scale, or even, you know, any wrestling with any of the same issues, love to connect, shoot us an email. Mike at spector.com, Kevin at spector.com. Um, and yeah, we'd love to have more chats like these with more people making the same kind of decisions. Yeah. Cause there's so many fragmented Slack and discord groups. That I'm sure people are discussing these things. And so I think we all need to find our, our tribe to chat about it with. 100%. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Later.